the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Good morning. Over the next few Sundays and through the week, we're considering how our everyday lives count, how followers of Jesus can make a difference wherever we are, whatever we do, whoever we are. Thank you, Christine and Michelle, for that interview in front of the map, finding out about what it looks like right now to work in, in healthcare. If our everyday lives count, if they matter, then there's no such thing as an ordinary day for a Christian. With Christ, every day, every task, every situation, every relationship brims with divine possibility and potential. God is always at work. Wouldn't it be stunning then, here's your what if, wouldn't it be stunning if you and I knew in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds, that God himself was present in the everyday places where we live and where we work and where we play. Wouldn't that make all the difference in the world? Well, hello, my name is Simon. I'm part of the uh, leadership team here at the church, and I'm also part of the staff here at uh, Beaumont. Now, as shorthand, we're calling these places where we spend most of our week, our front lines. Our Monday through to Saturday week, wherever you spend that, that is your front line. Now, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I spend a good chunk of my week at home as an at-home dad with two little boys. We're at home then. We're at uh, the preschool gate. We're at our local park. We're at the toy library. We're at the shops. Uh, We're at toddler group and so on. If T.S. Eliot measured out his life in coffee spoons, I measure mine out in portable snack pots the creation of which seems to be endless. Now, question then, does my at-home dad life actually matter? Does it count? Does it matter to God? Is he really present in the everyday places where myself and the boys live, work and play? Here's a confession. I am a recovering atheist who enjoys a little bit of pessimism and the occasional dash of despair. I find myself drawn to that odd book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes that says everything is meaningless. Here's my confession. In my unbelieving moments amongst the endless snacks, the circular conversations about what we're doing today, and an inordinate amount of laundry, I'm tempted to say surely this is just too trivial. Surely this stuff doesn't matter to God. Surely he isn't present here. Well, you and I, in our short time together now, we're going to spend some time with one individual who came to see his ordinary places with fresh eyes. This individual encounters the living God, and this encounter enables them to see ordinary places very, very differently. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to be looking how we can make a difference wherever we are, Whatever we do, whoever we are. 
And today, we're going to take a look at wherever we are. So at the outset, could you visualize for me an everyday place in your life? Can you do that for me now? This week, as I've been talking with you, been out and about meeting folks from the church, I've seen a glimpse of some of these places. Uh, Whether it's at the pool, assisting primary school children with their swimming lessons. Whether it's at the park, taking an elderly client for a walk. Whether it's walking to the office, getting ready for a full-on day of meetings. Helping out on grandparent duty. Keeping up with those resolutions as you head to the gym. Or in the uni library, preparing for an exam. Visualise it for me now. A place where you spend your time, have you got somewhere in mind? It could, even like me, be somewhere pretty nondescript, overlooked, and somewhere possibly even meaningless in your own eyes right now. You do not have to justify this place. You don't have to justify it to me. You don't have to justify it to church, to your home group, to anyone else. Not to your friends, not to anyone. It's where God has placed you in the here and now. So visualising that place, wouldn't it be stunning if you became aware of and alive to the Lord's presence in that place, wherever we are? Wouldn't it be stunning to become aware of and say, along with Jacob, who we're going to meet in a few moments' time, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Well, I'm going to introduce you to Jacob. Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. And we're going to read from verses 10 to 22. I'll have the words up on the screen for you. I'm introducing you to Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. And we read of him in the first book of the Bible, which is called Genesis. He becomes later in life the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, and again later in life he'd actually be renamed from Jacob to Israel. This guy's a big deal. I've spent time with him over the last few days, and I can honestly say he has no redeeming features whatsoever. He is just, oh, he's just nasty. The Bible is honest about people, even the heroes, and Jacob is spared nothing. He's narrated to us as someone who swiftly and deftly exploits the weaknesses and frailties of others. And he uses his own initiative, his own smarts, his well-crafted people skills to plot the downfall of others and his own ascendancy. His is a life of desperate ambition. His name means grasping or clutching. His is a life of scheming, and all of that is enabled by, and this is the thing that I kind of find most fascinating about him, most galling. He, his, all of his ascendancy is enabled by this seeming superpower he has of lying straight to someone's face, be able to look him in the eye and just outright lie. And he does that to many people in his story. Let's join him now in Genesis chapter 28 and verses 10 to 22. All of his lies and his scheming have at last caught up with him. His own brother is set on revenge for his latest duplicitous actions. And if this was cinema, and the Bible tells a cinematic story, we'd be zooming in now on Jacob. He's alone, far from home. He settles down to sleep the night under the stars with a stone for his pillow. 
Let's read together. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and will bring you back to to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Let's pray together as we look at God's word. We bring before you now, Lord, our souls, our hearts, our minds, the places we have envisaged. We ask that as we read your word now, that you might open our eyes, that we may see wondrous things in your law. We ask that in faith. Please use this time now. Amen. Well, here's what I think is going on. It's a simple passage and it's got this structure to it. Verses 10 to 15 recount Jacob's encounter with God. God meets Jacob. And then verses 16 to 22, the remainder of our passage, they're all about Jacob's response. Two kind of responses, an immediate wow and a long-term commitment. It's easy for us to rush over the central point of this story. God meets Jacob. The living God reveals himself to Jacob. God sought out, called, drew near, encountered, found, whatever language you want to use, he's found, met with this individual. And the story of the Bible that we look at every week here at Beaumont is one of countless similar interactions, encounters, some spectacular, some breathtakingly ordinary. The story of the Bible is one of encounters with the living God, and it's an ongoing story. It continues to this very day. God met Moses in a burning bush. Elijah, not in a whirlwind, but in a whisper 
at the doorway to a cave. Jesus met Zacchaeus up a tree. The woman, well, he met her at the well about her daily tasks. Peter, he met Peter at his workplace, a beach. Mary Magdalene, she looked for him in a tomb, but found him standing behind her. Most of the encounters we read about in the life of Jesus occur in ordinary, everyday places. The commentator Matthew Henry said, no place excludes divine visits. And this ongoing story is one of encounters too, some spectacular, some ordinary. This still happens. Do you believe this? God meets people. Do you believe this? Well, in Jacob's dream, he saw and heard amazing things, didn't he? Verse 12, a stairway connecting heaven and earth. Angelic beings going up and down on this stairway. Verse 13, and at the top, the Lord himself. He's seen some amazing, wondrous, stunning things. Jacob sees that there's more to this world than meets the eye. That this, this earthly life, isn't all there is. The life of heaven and the life of earth, they're connected. And heaven and earth are under the Lord's rule and reign. But just as important as what he sees is what he hears. God speaks to him in this dream. Jacob hears the Lord speaking And he hears those same promises that were given to Abraham and to Isaac. And they're bestowed upon Jacob. I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac, he hears. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth. And you'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Jacob is hearing how he's going to be blessed and how from him are going to come a scattered people bringing blessing to all the peoples of the earth. We shouldn't let our smallness, our littleness, our seeming insignificance as Christians today in the UK rob us of these promises. The intention from the beginning has always been to make all the difference in the world, to scatter far and wide and to bless all the peoples of the earth. Shouldn't we pause here? Just stop and say, wouldn't it be stunning to have experienced this? Wouldn't it have been amazing to have dreamt this dream? To have such an encounter with the living God? Well, yes, that would be spectacular. That would be amazing. And such dreams and visions, they do happen. This is a place of encounter with God. But our experience, your experience, my experience, doesn't always match Scripture's reality. That might not be a surprise to you. Especially when we consider these astounding figures Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We're not saying that this should be our daily experience. If you know me, you'll know I'm not a dreams and visions before breakfast kind of guy. That doesn't happen to me in my walk with the Lord. I don't think this kind of dream should be our regular expectation and experience. The Bible's honest 
It's honest about people. It's honest about experience. It leaves room for the marvellous and the spectacular. But it also looks to sanctify, make holy and enliven the ordinary. And that's what we're talking about too. This encounter was unique and memorable. I've been following Jesus 15 years. You know I'm not a daily dreams and visions guy. I have had one noteworthy dream in those 15 years, which was truly stunning, which filled me with awe and fear. It wouldn't be particularly helpful for me to share it here. I've shared it with those who've got some experience and discernment in that area. But for clarity, it relayed no new information. It was consistent with the biblical categories regarding the angelic. I didn't see or glimpse the Lord, yet it was jolly powerful. And the combined effect of it all was something like verse 16 and 17. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. I had that wow moment. But the Bible is honest about people and honest about experience. It leaves room for the marvellous and the spectacular, but it is looking to sanctify, make holy, and enliven the ordinary. Look closely at our verses then, and you'll see that although this is a stunning encounter, it is amazing. Wouldn't this have been amazing if this happened to you? It's all of life that the Lord speaks to Jacob about. Did you spot that? He's speaking to him about all of life. Life when he wakes up. Verse 15. The Lord says to Jacob, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. Every day where I am, Whatever I'm doing, whatever the future may hold, I am with you, says the Lord. My promises are going to outlast all of your journeying. And here the significance of God's presence is applied in lots of different ways. And you might want to do it too in those places you visualise, the ordinary, the everyday places where you find yourself. How about a promise like this as you go on to your shift on the ward this week. I will watch over you or guard you. How about this? As you go to visit a challenging client this week, I will watch over you. I will guard you. How about this? As you head off on yet another late night drive across the country, I will watch over you. I will guard you. How about this? As you deliver bad news, to an unpredictable and overbearing boss. I will watch over you. I will guard you. Well, for Jacob, this is an encounter with God. He, and this is the first time he meets him. He knew his parents' faith and of their own religious experience. But now, for the very first time, he's come face to face with God. We know that he's been gripped by God. We see that in the way he speaks about him. Just a chapter earlier, he's talking about God as if he belongs to someone else. He says to his father, the Lord, your God. And now we find him here after his encounter in verse 21, referring to God as his God, my God. He has this incredible wow moment. And you see that in verses 16 and 17. Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. 
He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob has truly encountered the living God and he has this moment of realisation as he wakes up. This wow moment. But it's heading, it's somewhere else where I want to conclude and where I want to, to leave us. And it's not in the wow moment, not in those, just those few moments after this encounter, but in Jacob's long-term commitment. He makes a vow to the Lord his God. A vow is a solemn promise. It's words packed with meaning and it's associated with loyalty and commitment. And it's clear from the whole structure of our passage today that you've got this encounter followed by response. And the response is one of whole life commitment. If I can state it as sharply as possible, any encounter or experience of God today, right now, will be irrelevant, will mean nothing, unless we, like Jacob, commit our onward journey, our Monday to Saturday life to the Lord our God. And that's what he does. He makes this vow. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I'm taking and will give me food to eat, clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. He makes this whole life commitment. So what's our response? Can you recall that place that we began with, where we visualised where we're going to spend our every day? Where will you be this time tomorrow? Can you, like Jacob, commit to seeking the Lord's presence in that place? Wouldn't that make all the difference in the world? Can you seek the Lord's presence in that place and to ask for eyes to see all that he's doing? You might want to go there tomorrow. Imagine where you're going to be this time tomorrow and just say to yourself, to the Lord, surely the Lord is in this place. Now to make this concrete, and that's something that Jacob definitely does, we might want to make a note now, make a note of that place where you want to seek the Lord's presence. Or tell someone, tell someone where it is that you want to see the Lord's presence and make all the difference in the world. We're going to pray together and Johnny and the band are going to lead us in our final songs. Uh, please uh, join with me in saying this prayer together. Lord of all creation, thank you that our everyday ordinary places matter to you and we make a difference there. We offer to you the places where we live, work, study and play. May we serve you and better witness to you wherever we are this week. And may we know your presence with us in these places. Amen.